0: Welcome back to Zoo Notable. I'm PJ with Zoofit and I have probably one of my favorite guests I'm gonna have all year today, talking about something that's very important to me and very important to to them and, and I and I feel very important to all of all of you listening. We've got Shannon McKinney from Graze. Graze is the growing resiliency and Aquarium and Zoo Employees. So G-R-A-Z-E. I love I love the acronym. But we're going to be talking a little bit, again, this is a very special episode of Tell Me a Story. We're going to talk about the zoo field, what it, what it takes to be a zookeeper, be in this animal field, uh, physically and mentally, what it takes, and then ways that we can improve our life. And uh, again, Shannon's got some really interesting folks. So I'm a uh, things to talk to us about, so I'm really, really excited to have you here. Shannon, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on, PJ. So we can just dive right into it. I introduced you, you were with a, an organization called Grays. Tell me all about that. <laughs>
1: yep, so the organization that I helped co-found with two other individuals is Grays, as you mentioned. And really the mission of GRAZE is to bring mental health support to the zoo and aquarium industry and pretty much the animal care industry as a whole. We don't limit it to only zoos and aquariums. We work with a lot of rescue rehab, wildlife um, and different facilities like that as well. So really bringing those tools, strategies and crisis response to our industry, something that existed in the first responder world, but hasn't
0: really existed for us. So just to give a background, I met you well, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. Everything was virtual. So it wasn't, even, I've, I haven't met you in real life. I've planned to this week to uh, ASAC, and um, I will finally meet a lot of folks that I've, I've met online and worked with online, but haven't met in person. So I'm excited. But during the pandemic, I started seeing a shift. So folks who are not as familiar uh, with what I do, I was—I started a program called Zoo Fit, and as you can imagine, a term like Zoo Fit—I was really fitness focused. I was all, you know, working out and eating right, and maybe a little bit of those healthy habits like sleep, incorporated in there, uh, drinking water. But after the pandemic hit, I really shifted my focus from get in shape to take care of yourself. Like just literally, <laughs> and just take care, and and everything that it encompasses yes we do need to take care of our bodies our physical well-being but during the pandemic again i saw a big shift for me on that mental well-being and i can't remember what i what i saw if it was an article or just that you were presenting at a conference and i snap i like had something snap in my brain i'm like i have got to talk to these folks so i was thrilled uh, to connect with you and that you were willing to connect with me. Yeah, uh, one of the things that we have, uh, that you have offered that I've I've taken up is that crisis intervention certification, which can you tell us just a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we have three main pillars that GRAZE really focuses our attention and energy. And one is our crisis response, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a little bit. The other ones are peer support services. And then the third is our proactive programming. And honestly, that's the space where a lot of people first reach out to us is because they're hoping to get tools and strategies for how to build and grow their resiliency. And part of that arena is um, some certifications. So we have assisting individuals in crisis, group crisis intervention and mental health first aid. And these are all certifications that Gray's team members have And we're really working to try and share with the rest of the zoo and aquarium commit industry, really trying to get more people trained in some of these skills so that when we have events that are deemed critical or traumatic, and that's different for everyone, what may be critical or traumatic for one person may or may not be for another person. So they're really, while there is the top terrible 10 per se of events, many of those, Uh, identified events are kind of our Tuesday. And so when we look at these certifications, they're really beneficial for teaching us how to recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma. We don't diagnose, but recognize them in others and in ourselves so that we can connect with the appropriate resources. And then what are those resources? How do we, if we have a traumatic event, what are the steps that we need to follow to ensure the resources and support gets to our team and to ourselves to ensure that people can psychologically move through a process and really move through the event in a healthy and helpful way
0: during the certification course i was i was thrilled to see so many different zoos from all across the country getting represented so you're from my understanding your goal is to have at least not just have one, but have at least one in every zoo so that if something happens, it's not like scrambling to find someone just finding having the resource there that like, can reach out and and help out. So you mentioned the terrible tent. I, I know we won't go into like all the doom and gloom here, but what are, what are some examples of of like a crisis that you might come across?
1: So oftentimes when we talk about the terrible 10, we're thinking of anything that involves loss or death that could be human or animal. We're thinking about anything that could potentially involve children. So oftentimes think about it. We're trained in lost children, right? That is something we do, especially in our busy seasons. Wait, I mean, how many times have we been sitting at lunch and you hear the call over the radio Like you literally just sat down and someone's like, we have a lost child. And you're like, crap right? But for somebody else, that is literally their worst day, their worst nightmare is to lose their children. And whether it's something that we've been conditioned to or not, that's still that idea of someone losing their child, even if we don't have children ourselves, can activate something in our primitive brain. And so it is qualified as one of the top 10 is anything that involves a child. Also, just thinking about medical emergencies, anything that includes injury or traumatic injury again Mm -hmm. human or animal right we're thinking animal intros can have that potential impact on us natural disasters that wipe things out right devastation or complete disaster if you think about what we do and some of the things we train for we try to prepare for these to the best of our ability and yet we're running into many of these things even the sound of a gun and it doesn't have to be a gun that shoots bullets and ammunition, a dart gun, the sound of a dart gun can activate a, a traumatic or critical response within our body. And so when we think about it from that perspective, we have normalized many of these events, as I said, as our Tuesdays mm-hmm. don't add on any of the like extra trauma, whether that's uh animal intro gone wrong or a traumatic loss of an animal a sudden loss, right? Or anything in our personal lives that might be going on or happening. Sometimes we often want to focus on our animal and our zoo world or our, our work world. And we forget that the things that happen in our everyday, whether it's in our communities on the news, right? If you see a traumatic experience happen on the news, that's vicarious trauma that also impacts us. And we're Mm -hmm. we're catching and carrying a lot of these things and we don't even realize it.
0: I still adhere to the idea that social media and the World Wide Web has been a blessing and a deep curse (laughs) for a lot of us. There's a research that I heard that people who are watching the news of the Boston Marathon bombing experienced more PTSD than folks that were actually in it, and that's because they watch past a certain number of hours of news footage. So you know we're we're bombarded, and today's world, wow, we are bombarded by so much. Uh, there's a famous author that's uh, just leaving my mind, and I'll think of it after we're done here. But he wrote about like the uh, that our brains are adapted to. To uh, reacting or responding to a lion roaring, one lion roaring at us at a time, but nowadays we have the whole jungle screaming at us, mm-hmm. and so we are again. We're bombarded by it. And it becomes our and our, We are feeling like it's our normal Tuesday, as you said, but our brains are are reacting, and and again, um, this is where that mental health comes into play and again i'm so happy to have Grays finally in in the zoo world and i'm hoping that again that kind of resource will be will just continue to grow as we learn a little bit more about self-care and about mental health that again this this is a this is a growing resource so i i am curious again i i shared about how I connected with you, but how did you get connected with, with Graze? What's what's your background there?
1: Yep. So I spent 16 years in the Zune Aquarium industry, all the way up from frontline keeper up to senior level executive. So I was the chief animal care officer at my facility. I also spent 12 years in the military deploying to both Iraq and Afghanistan. So to say that I had some mental health challenges is probably putting it mildly. I, throughout my career, really struggled. Um, For those who may or may not know me really well or heard me speak before, one of my biggest challenges was actually before I joined the, the zoo world, but after my very first deployment, I actually considered taking my life by suicide. And so really working through the tools and strategies to get to a point where I was quote unquote stable. And I don't even know if I'm quite there yet, to be honest, because it's a constant journey for me. And a lot of that time, mental health was very stigmatized. So seeking a professional support wasn't an option for me or I didn't believe it was an option for me. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of the work that I did, I did on my own. And much like you mentioned, something that I witnessed both in myself and in my colleagues was really this gap in what we did and then how we cared for ourselves and addressed some of the challenges that we faced. The pandemic, I think really just augmented it to a point that we could no longer ignore it and sweep it under the rug, but it was always there. I had witnessed it in so many generations of keepers, the ones that trained me and the ones that I was training as well. So I was looking to Gain more knowledge. I went and got certified as a life coach, as a professional life coach, and really wanted to dive into this realm. And I wanted to do a talk about it at AZA conference. And at that time, the conference had gotten postponed because Mm -hmm. the world shut down quite literally. And so I put it out to see if anybody else would be willing since the September one was virtual to do this panel with me. And I had the profound pleasure of meeting Erin uh, McNally, who is one of the other co-founders, who also has created, she has experienced some pretty critical events in her lifetime. And through that course, I met Hannah Fulmer, who is our other uh, co-founder of Grays and has also had critical events that have happened to her throughout her zoo career. And so the three of us really recognize this gap, and we Had the pleasure of getting to know a licensed clinical social worker whose primary focus and kind of background was in this crisis space, and really had the opportunity. And she was already an instructor for the International Critical Stress Foundation, which has a lot of the courses that we offer and teach. And so she really helped move this tool that first responder and military world had utilized for so many. I mean, this has been used, I think she's the information said around the Depression time, like post-depression wars, this is when a tool that started, right? started to be implemented, um, and finally helped us bring it into our space. Because one of the things that we don't realize is in the first responder world, you don't respond to your home. You are not allowed to respond to your family and to your home. However, as zookeepers and animal care professionals, that's exactly what we do. We are the first responders to our own house. And that adds a whole nother layer on top of it. And so that's kind of where Gray's really formed, was the three of us connected and just kind of realized that this was something we needed to pursue. And that's what we did. We kind of stepped out in faith and just kind of
0: saw where it went. (laughs) So I'm really excited about this year's AZAC conference because the whole conference is there's a lot of little subtopics that they're gonna be talking about, geriatric and and waterfowl is gonna be a big one for them too. But their central theme and their their theme for the entire conference is you're at the heart of it all. And they're gonna be talking about da-da-da-da, self-care. Our our keynote speaker went through a certification process together, coaching certification together. You will be doing a full-on 12-hour certification course at the conference. And, and, and then there's several workshops about, again, doing a, a workshop on mental health. I'll be there doing a workshop on burnout. So it's gonna be, I'm, I'm super, super excited. I like how Grace has, again, three components. You know, there is the, re- the react, right? Things happen, does, you know, we have to have those resources so that we can, you know, again, take care of ourselves in the moment. Um, I will admit like, and again, you talked about your proactive area, and that's where I feel i sp- I specialize in too, like, hey, how can we get resiliency? How can we become kind of anti-fragile, as my coach calls it. Whereas when those events happen, yeah, we're gonna have grief. We're going to you know if we lose an animal, if we lose a lot of animals or worse, sick case scenario, even human life, yeah, there's going to be grief, but how can we bounce back stronger? Uh, and and not and not crumble. So again, that's where seeing a lot of focus, that mental health first aid is is really, really important. What are some things that you've learned that you can share with us that can kind of start us on that path? Um, I think the biggest space that has been the most helpful
1: to myself and those that I've had the pleasure of working with and around is really reframing some things, regardless of our generation, our industry our family background, there are a lot of beliefs and bias that we get handed. And there are a lot of terms and, uh, concepts that we also get handed. And instead of challenging them, we kind of accept them and take them on and they don't Mm -hmm. always serve us. So some of the biggest reframes that I have found to be really helpful, um, is first around it, you mentioned a few times, but the concept of self-care. And a lot of times people think that self-care has to be this extra thing. It's another item on your to-do list. As animal professionals, self-care is basic husbandry. Mm -hmm. It's food, water, rest, and that can be sleep. That could be rest from all the sensory overload. So maybe that's uh, disconnecting for a few minutes from your phone, from just the world, whatever that needs to look like for each individual person. But really recognizing that that basic husbandry and spending a few minutes every single day on our basic care is a form of self-care. And it's, it's one of the best habits we can start for ourselves. So reframing that concept. Also reframing the idea around the recovery aspect. Um, you know, a lot of times when we think of the term burnout, we think of that's it, mm-hmm. there isn't a coming back from that. And so really recognizing what's happening to us often is that we have accumulation of stress that has allowed to weigh on us and stay with us and that is something we can recover from. That is something that we can process and move through. We also think about the term resiliency, right? We think of this concept of if something bad happens, I'm supposed to be able to be okay. Really what resiliency is, is it's having healthy and helpful coping skills So that when bad things happen, we can feel the, the, the hard stuff. We can feel the icky, some of those emotions that are very uncomfortable. And we can start to integrate them into our daily life in a way that is healthy and helpful. So when we experience that loss of an animal, we witness our grief, we experience our grief, we process our grief and we integrate our grief. The grief does not go away it gets integrated in a healthy and helpful way and too often when we talk about resiliency with people there's this concept of it's supposed i'm supposed to feel amazing like i lose an animal i have my grief and now i'm all better and that's not what resiliency is it's that ability to integrate and move through in a healthy and helpful way and that's the other thing that we also don't usually say is we don't refer to them as positive or negative emotions or positive or negative tools, helpful or healthy, or in the realm of emotions, uncomfortable and enjoyable emotions. Because every single one of our emotions is critical and key to us. It gives us an indication of what we're dealing with. That something is going in our body that we need to address. With that said, the same with our tools and strategies. A tool or strategy, you know, oftentimes we will use exercise because that's an easy one, right? Zoom it, exercise. Yeah. that's a, that tends to be a go-to coping tool, right? Like that's, that makes sense. Move your body, get the, the hormones out. However, one of the things that I found on my particular journey, because I am in such a hyper state of fight or flight all the time, as part of my anxiety struggles, running actually activates my response even more. It heightens it. I actually become more anxious following a run. So for me, the exercise tools need to be more grounded like yoga or mm-hmm. meditation, right? More of that centered, slow movement to get my body back to its baseline, back to a healthy basal space. So thinking about if I use exercise that's high energy for me, that's not a helpful tool. Right. But for you, that's a super helpful tool. It doesn't make it good or bad, it's just for me in that moment. It's not, and for you, it's super helpful. So really, trying to reframe the terms that we use to describe some of the things that we're doing, and whether or not they're serving us. So I know that was quite a few different things,
0: but I know like, that was goes in that realm. It stems from, again. I'm getting a lot of questions already for my workshop. Like, will you will you talk about this, and will you give us ways to deal with that? And I'm like, we will. We'll definitely be talking about ways to deal with it and signs to look for but keep in mind that everything is individualized and like what you just said like i always say there's no one size fits all for fitness for you know for your healthy habits what's working for me may be completely inconvenient for you and and also keep in mind it's not a snap your fingers and suddenly you're going to get eight hours of sleep and drinking 10 10 glasses of water a day and eating perfectly. And uh, every, you're not going to snap your fingers. It's not going to all happen. Um, that's why I, we don't snap our fingers and our animals are trained, right? We, we go through small progressive steps. And so we, we have this, we do this a lot together whenever yeah. we talk, right? I've noticed we start getting into that animal training lingo, but, like, you know, this we treating ourselves the way we would treat an animal in our care, mm-hmm. with, com- with compassion, with you know, with positive intent, like you know, we're going to focus on that positive reinforcement. Focus on the progress. We're not going to be looking back, going, "Oh gosh, I, look how far I have to go." Just um, focusing on what we have have accomplished and making those small progressive steps. Mm-hmm. If that means uh, you know, drinking one more glass of water today, and that's that's your win. Fantastic, go for it. If that means if that means running is like the lot again, it's not even that what it does to you, like for you. Again, I would not recommend running. But like if somebody comes to me and goes, Oh, I can't stand running, I just don't like the way I feel. That's not for you. That's not yeah, don't that's, do it. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> so it's about finding your way, and that's uh the, the ideal. It's called self-care, not other people what works for other people care. Um, so it is a journey too. There's it's again, I, I find today I, I just find it exciting. Hey, I've found out this new great idea. Will it work for me? Let's find out. Let's find out if it, mm-hmm. if it works for me. See if it releases that dopamine and, and gets us gets us revving uh, and helps us out. And if it does, fantastic. I'm going to put that in my toolbox. And if it does not, awesome i know i i have that information mm-hmm. it's all Definitely. data <laughs> it is and it's and it's
1: making sure we're listening to ourselves you know we're really good at picking up on body language in our animals how many times have we gone to the vet or just a team member and we're like i don't know what's wrong but the animal ain't right. And that was something like my vet night, we actually had a, a term and I forget now what the, the term was, but it basically stood for animal ain't right. <laughs> and, um, it, we just kind of knew, like, we couldn't pinpoint what was going on, but we knew enough about the behavior and the animal's baseline to know that they were not in a space that we deemed as healthy and helpful for them. And so oftentimes we're taught to ignore our own needs. And we're taught to ignore our instincts and Mm -hmm. instead focus on how are we making someone else feel which for me is a loaded statement because you can't make anybody feel anything (laughs) right (laughs) we are all in control of our own emotions and how what someone says impacts or influences us and we were taught as very young children and i see this this is what comes up for me because as you know pj i've got three boys i ranging from ages what is he, 18 months to seven years old, my house is sheer chaos. With that said, though, one of the things that I've noticed that as my kids have starting to get older is how society teaches empathy. And our go-to method, it really is guilt and shame, which is not ideal, but it's what we've been conditioned or taught. And so until we start to learn a better way to do it, this unfortunately is the go-to way. But essentially what it is, is we, we give them this perception that what they say hurts so and so's feelings. Oh, if you're if you pick on them, you're hurting their feelings. And basically what we're doing is we're taking that child's power away from them. Instead, hey, little Susie, tell me how you feel when you hear these words. OK, do you believe these words? If you don't, fantastic. Then ignore them. If you do believe the words, what is at the core of that belief and is it serving you? And I know I actually started doing this with my oldest son, really starting to identify what are the emotions you're feeling and what are the thoughts at the core? And yes, young kids can do this. So we as adults certainly can do this, <laughs> right? Like starting to get words, there are almost, it's, there's some debate around it, but there are almost 200 different emotions and emotional experiences. Interesting. Most of us can name three. Right. (laughs) Right. I'm happy, I'm angry, and I'm sad. Yes. (laughs) If we get detailed, we might add a few more to that, but they're probably in those realms. So, really, and but with that said, if I'm feeling lonely, but I haven't identified it, instead, I think I'm exhausted because of my physical work, what tools and strategies I use to cope with exhaustion, physical exhaustion, right, is going to be rest. Maybe it's going to be taking myself away from social environments and relaxing or resting on the couch or sitting at home, you know, binging Netflix, whatever that looks like. Whereas if I'm lonely, those tools are actually going to make it worse, but I still feel exhausted and it's actually an emotional exhausted. It's a lonely, unsupported, exhausted. So when we can start to put words to what is really at the core of what I'm feeling and recognize it's not the situation. It's how we're perceiving it. It's how we're internalizing it. Two people can say the exact same statement. And depending on your perception of your relationship with that individual is going to determine how you react and respond to that. Mm -hmm. So this is where we start to give that power back to ourselves. If I get to decide how I feel, I get to decide what my boundaries are, around my relationships and my interactions and my job and my life. And then that is a form of self-care too. giving ourselves that ability to have those emotions, to process them, to have those boundaries. Those are all versions of self-care that help us build our resiliency because we stop giving power to others and we start taking it back for ourselves.
0: I also am going to tumble weeding off of this. We can own how we feel and and still feel those things but not blame again not blame others but also not blame something outside of ourselves like you know oh i'm in a bad mood because i have a headache you can have a headache and you can even be in a bad mood but that you can still have that again the the autonomy to still act you know professionally or to you know or to know oh gosh I feel like I might snap at people because I just, I can't, I can't think, I can't, that gap between my stimulus and responses is is short. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'll just take a step back and, and do some breathing or, or whatever it is that I need to take care of myself. So that's, these are ideas that when we, when we own ourselves and like, we can, as you were saying much earlier, again, knowing ourselves, Hey, when I have this kind of headache or when I didn't get enough sleep last night, instead of, instead of like putting that on, oh, it's not my fault, owning what it is, and no, the headache is definitely not your fault, and maybe, again, not, as a mother of three, getting, not, not getting enough sleep is not your fault, <laughs> it's not your fault, but how I respond to that is completely within my control, and what can I do to again, make myself better and also be the best version of myself in that moment, even though I am not the person I want to be in that moment. Mm -hmm.
1: Really, and humanizing the people around us too, because if we're having hard life, hard experiences, chances are so are our teammates, so are our leaders, so are, you know, the, the random person at the grocery store that we run into that's a little snippy with us,
0: Mm-hmm. And when we
1: can start to recognize and see them as human beings or also having a human experience that today might suck, then we can also hold that compassion space. But we first have to comp- have compassion for ourselves before we can truly give it to anyone else, whether that be the animals or the humans in our yeah. lives.
0: You also, again, feeding off of that, too. Like when when someone cuts you off in traffic. I've, I've, I've stopped, got, I've, I i do not honk horns anymore. I'm all, I wave no matter what, even if somebody is like rudely cuts me off because I've been in that, no matter what the situation, I've been that person that cut me off or ran a red light or wasn't paying attention. And, and, and I usually and- say, I hope you get where you need to go safely. Exactly, one one hundred percent. I'm like, I I I've, I've been you. I've I've stopped getting angry at the at the little things, like that. Just, again, and just doing that for for ourselves, and then once again for the animals too. That help. I feel like that has helped me be a better trainer. I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> I've yeah. been that before. There's where that empathy really yeah. comes into play. Is again, is treating yourself and treating other humans with the, with that common humanity i may not know how you feel yep but i know what that's like to and i can hold
1: space for it yeah mm-hmm. and then that that actually builds into our resiliency because when we can hold space for other human beings not from a space of resentment or frustration or anger or that that feel of like requirement like i have to do this but truly from a space of I see you. I hear you. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I can hold space. You don't necessarily have to like that person. You don't have to be BFFs with that person. But just that recognition that they're also a human being, this actually activates some like connection in us. Mm-hmm. Because while we may not be best friends with them, when we see them as a human and we hold compassion for that space, we don't feel so alone. And whether you're, I'm sorry, this drives me insane, I am an introvert, okay? (laughs) I can still have social experiences. Oftentimes we use this idea that, oh, I'm introverted. That means that I don't need human beings in my life, and that's malarkey. We are human primates. Primates have tribes and troops, whether we want to admit it or not. It just might be for me, one-on-one, that's refilling that's recharging that one-on-one conversation is what helps me. Whereas we'll say, Erin, my colleague, get her into a room. Like if we, when we go to conferences, if you ever see this conference, chances are you will see Erin everywhere. You may not see me everywhere (laughs) because I will take a few minutes by myself or in a one-on-one situation versus trying to meet with a hundred people in a very short period of time.
0: Yeah, I, I too am an introvert. I am a pretend extrovert. I gain my energy once I'm alone or again, that one-on-one. So my mom is coming to the conference with me. Yay mom. And, and I can promise you that after the conference, like each day, I'm going to be like reverting back to mom and I'm going to have mom time and that's going to recharge me people are going to be like, PJ is such an extrovert. I am not. I just gain energy (laughs) from being alone and then I can expel it.
1: I do love it that, because we talked about reframing as a resiliency tool, right? And many of us have heard this concept of filling your cup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of the things you just touched on there, I love because oftentimes it is draining, right? If we don't fill ahead of time, if we don't prepare for things ahead of time or know how to keep our cup full, then we don't have the energy of the overflow. Oftentimes it's this idea that we have to drain our cup and, and refill, drain and refill, drain and refill, drain and refill. And that is exhausting. Whereas when we can have these little habits like we talked about in the beginning, right? When we can get five col- natural colored foods a day, not Skittles or Fruit Loops, like <laughs> natural colors. When we can get enough water when we can get rest, whether that's sensory rest or sleep or whatever that looks like, when we can breathe into our stomach versus our chest, our cup then is full and running over. Mm -hmm. And it's the runoff or the overflow that then we have to give to others. So one of the things I'm going to challenge you with this conference, because this is what I do. I preload. I make sure that all my coping skills and that I spend some quiet time prior to travel, ensuring that my cup is topped off. Okay. So that when I get to conference, I'm doing maintenance work. It's not having to completely refill, it's five, 10 minutes to just ensure I'm still at top. So that what I have left over is my overflow and not what's actually mine. And then this way, when we start to reframe it that way, now we can give to others without some sort of expectation in return. The same thing goes of what's in our cup. If we're spending a lot of time ruminating on what's going wrong and that's not to belittle or minimize what's going wrong. We need to acknowledge what is wrong, right? In order to make changes. But if that's what our brain is always focused on is I'm angry. I feel like crap. This all sucks. Everything's going downhill. Everyone's dying all of this is wrong, nobody cares. That's what our cup is gonna be filled with. And then when something happens, that's what's spilling out. When we can have compassion for ourselves of saying, hey, I'm angry about this, this sucks. Okay, what is it at the core that's really causing the anger? Is it because I believe it shouldn't have happened? Am I mad at myself for a mistake I think I made? Am I not having enough compassion or empathy for myself? Was I expecting to get something I didn't get? So now I'm disappointed. Like what is really at the core so that I can start to process it? Because now I'm coming from a space of compassion and love and approval and acceptance of myself. So when something happens, that's what I'm able to give to others. Instead of the judgment, Mm -hmm. I give non-judgment, right? Instead of anger, I give patience doesn't mean I don't feel these emotions, but I start to control the narrative of what's causing them and how I'm going to let them influence and impact.
0: Beautiful. Okay. I, I challenge accepted again. I love what, um, Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson says about filling our balloons and, and, yep. and uh, keeping, uh, keeping our self-centered. So I do have some practices. I, I will meet you with grace at the, at the conference with that, with that in mind, (laughs) we'll check in, we'll see how it's going. Yes. (laughs) And also that, that also can help with, with others too. Like I'm angry. What were my expectations with this other person? And then I'm not saying that they're unreasonable and I'm not saying that you can't be angry. You can't feel those things. That's, those are your feelings, but learning that, helping you process them and helping again to defuse the situation can just be from looking at like what what is it that's causing the this feeling or you know just bringing this feeling up what were my expectations of the other that also again creates cohesion and community opens up for communication so that i can go to someone and say like hey again, owning those feelings. I felt a little frustrated or whatever the word. I thought this was, this was my expectation. Again, I'm not putting it on you. You made me, this is what happened. I'm just, this was my expectation and it didn't happen that way. I'm feeling a little frustrated. Help me understand what, what happened. Help me understand
1: yeah. the, the logic behind this. Help me understand yeah. what I missed right? That I language that, you know, help me understand or uh, avoiding the why and the you is key. Anytime we're communicating, especially if it's a stressful situation and we can say, I feel this way, help me understand what I'm missing or boundaries, right? Hey, when we had our conversation and the volume got elevated, I'm unable to have a productive conversation Mm -hmm. going forward. When I'm in this conversation with you and I know I used you, but it's kind of hard not to use you in that. So it's not Mm -hmm. a perfect system. But when I perceived that your volume was very loud, I'm going to walk away for a minute and gather my thoughts so that I can have a productive conversation with you. Mm -hmm. You can set boundaries in a respectful way and still have those emotions also in a respectful way. So oftentimes we think about maybe what was our expectation, but what boundary was crossed? Yeah. What boundary wasn't respected? And then how am I going to reestablish that boundary? Recognizing sometimes they can flex, sometimes they can bend, but when they're broken or when they're crossed, how do I then reestablish that in a professional and helpful way? Again, recognizing that if I haven't vocalized my boundary, that person may not have even known they stepped over a boundary, right? If they come from a really loud family and I come from a really quiet family, what they perceive as normal talking volume, and I've (laughs) been in those environments, I perceive as yelling. And that's where I really key into some of those other words, right? Reframing some of the words we're using. If I look at you and say, you're yelling at me and you don't perceive it that way, you're going to get defensive. That's your natural instinct whereas when we can come from a space of okay your volume was a little higher than i would have preferred how do we bring the conversation down to a volume that is more productive
0: yeah if you're if i'm get if i'm feeling myself even get emotional or defensive in the conversation that, again using those boundaries using those i words and like i feel that this might not be the right time let's And then there is going to if you're having a conversation with someone else, you have to use the word you like, let's 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 revisit this when I'm feeling calm down. And again, even if it's even if it's also them that is amping things up, you're still owning yourself. You're feeling, okay. I'm feeling them getting amped up is amping me up. So put it back on me. I'm feeling amped up. I'm feeling. This might not be the best time. Let's, let's revisit this when I'm feeling calmer or more collected.
1: And I think that what's really important about this conversation is these are all unexpected tools. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't always think about some of these as forms of self-care or self-husbandry, but they really are. And when that was some of the things that I learned along the way of all the different experiences that I had was some of these tools are far more profound than we even give them credit for. And a lot of them are in our control and in our power. And when we can start to take that back, when we can start to have that autonomy, that's where our resilience gets its growth opportunities. We're gonna go through hard things. Statistics say that nowadays, the I think the last one I saw was of the population will experience a traumatic or critical experience in their lifetime. Put that into the zoo world and that statistic increases significantly. We're gonna have these hard times. They're gonna suck. They're gonna hurt. We're gonna wanna lash out. We're gonna want to isolate because that's what our brain thinks it needs to do to keep us safe. And so when we're talking about all these different tools, some of these seem silly. Some are like, well, you don't know my experience. And I may not know your exact experience, but chances are some variation or modification of these tools can be really helpful. And it allows us to take those steps forward. And that's where I think one of the biggest concepts is this idea of forgiveness, that when we forgive someone, we're saying the behavior they had was appropriate and that's not the case. When we choose to forgive someone, whether that's ourself or someone else, We're saying that I am not going to let your choices and your decisions have an influence or impact on me that is unhelpful or unhealthy. And maybe I need to set a boundary here, or maybe I need to make some different choices to keep myself Mm -hmm. safe and healthy. And that's, that's some things that we can really think about when we're thinking about the concepts of mental and emotional well-being.
0: Oh, you're, you're opening so many more. ways we could talk here for hours then. <laughs> we could, and I recognize that we don't have hours. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a really quick request. We have, again, this is Tell Me a Story, and you've had so many experiences, so this might be a hard one for you. But can you tell me a story about a, a time that, you know, a life lesson from the animals, or even from your three boys, that that helped you maybe flip that switch or to look at life a little differently?
1: mm that is a hard one because yeah like you said i have so many different experiences i think probably the one for me that was the most profound and probably really indicated to me how i had grown in my own resiliency tools and my own well-being um we had a a stanley blue crane let's talk about the stanley blue crane i think that mm-hmm. one's a more profound story he came to us very skittish he had come from a big open space and quarantine was really hard on him. And so he was parent reared. So being around a lot of humans was really hard for him. And I just remember spending time with him quietly. I would literally sit in front of his indoor holding space and just very quiet, very slow movements. When I would go to feed or clean, I did very slow movements. And I always had to make sure it was... For me, it was so interesting because no matter what had happened in the day, I found a way for this animal to calm myself prior to entering his space so that he was calm. That was kind of one of the first real shifts for me that it doesn't matter what's going on in your environment. You have the power to control how you're going to show up. Fast forward years later, and we had a really bad storm overnight and something startled and spooked him and he broke his beak. Oh no! We worked really hard. The vet went above and beyond to try and save him, but the stress of the event and just all the hands-on care that was required to tube feed him and to make sure he was getting enough nutrition, all that stuff was just too much for him. And so I remember when he was not doing well, I was taking him up to the vet clinic and it was a gorgeous day outside. The wind was in our hair. We were driving the golf cart really fast to try to get him to the vet. Cause it was very much an emergency situation. He had gone down. He wasn't getting up. And I just remember he lifted his head long enough to feel the wind in his feathers and he passed away in my arms. And it taught me that even in our hardest moments, like he had that one last moment of beauty, he felt the wind in his hair one last time or his feathers one last time. And to have the pleasure of holding him, after working with him for so long and being able to process that really indicated to me that it doesn't matter what happens, we can build those relationships we can have these experiences, we can let it suck. And then we can go and we can use these skills and help others. You know, we can help, I helped his mate process that losing him and really helped the team and all these different things, right? Like, recognizing that these hard things happen but these relationships are so beautiful and he really taught me how no matter what's going on you gotta just enjoy it enjoy the sunlight enjoy the wind in your hair and focus on that focus on that grounding and being that calm presence no matter what's going on so that probably for me is the most profound interaction that i've ever had with an animal that hit me
0: the hardest Thank you so much. I've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, though. That was that is such a beautiful story and a, a beautiful lesson. I can think of like again the, the animals that have left that kind of um, impact on me too. Like that, I've, even though I had to say goodbye to them in a painful for me way, that they their legacy will still their lessons, as I like to say, will still live on in me and. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me on, PJ. I appreciate it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, is there anything before we go that you'd like to share? What's coming up with with Grace? Do you have any big projects? Installed? Oh, so many.
1: Like I said, we're in the thick of conference season, so you will see us all over the places. Mm-hmm. Um, we have registration for our MLLD class opening up soon. So if you're not a member of our newsletter, you can go to our website and find a way. There's spaces to go to get to the newsletter so you can stay up to date on that. And that's our mid-level leadership course that we offer. It's a year-round course. We also actually next week, September 24th through the 28th is our Resiliency Summit. So again, you can go to our website, which is www.zoomentalhealthsupport.com. And you can find the registration link for that. Um, it's a whole week of free virtual interviews with professionals from throughout our industry, sharing different resiliency strategies. Really the theme this year is being in the hard times and kind of being in the suck. Um, so a lot of the individuals that we talk to are really still in their processing of some of the events or the things that they're trying to do and change in the industry um, and how that's impacting them. So that's something that definitely check out. And yeah, we just we have trainings coming up. We offer peer support. We offer every third Thursday. It's on our website. Uh, We have a virtual support group that's free that people can join. There's all kinds of things. We're constantly doing stuff and 2024 is going to bring a lot more. So, (laughs) yeah, I think
0: that's the the gist of it. Fantastic. Yeah, and I'll have a lot of I'll have the link definitely to your website in the description yeah i can't i can't advocate checking them out what a great resource again whether you are whether you are grieving whether you are you're struggling you have challenges or whether you just want to help prepare for those challenges up ahead i can't recommend graze enough and if you're not going to get help with graze just again reach out to someone Uh, you're Maybe you have an EAP or with your with your insurance, maybe reach out for counseling. But again, just help get the help somewhere because our animals need you, we need you, uh, you need you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'd like to say, when we feel better, we can do better is what I've been feeling uh, that matters the most. And, you know, it's the animals depend on you and for, to be the best version. So yeah, take care of yourself, do what you need to do, but uh, yeah, thanks again, Shannon. Thank you, my absolute
1: pleasure.